Good evening. Hello there. Hello. How are you? Doing okay. Mm-hmm. Me too. A lot of content creation. Oh, how do you... Is that code for something? Yeah. It's always poop with you. Yeah. <laughs> I have a gift. Yeah. A very is that, special is gift. Is that creation, though? Because you're not putting out anything that wasn't put in. Well, I guess you kind of are, because it's like... Well, I didn't say publishing. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. They call it personal publishing. Weblog or blog. Ugh, I can't get these levels right. It's killing me. Ugh. Ugh. All right. All right. All right. Let's do this thing. Um, hey, looks to me like uh, you got some important follow-up here. Am I, am I reading this correctly? Sure. Yeah, I guess. Well, there's one item in follow-up in front matter. We really need to work on this document. Um, did, did you have follow-up? Or you, is this just something where are you, are you gaslighting me? Are you and Dan working together to gaslight me? Is that what it is? What, what would I, what would did the point of that be? If I knew, I could counter it. Mm-hmm, I, I would mm-hmm. know an effective, uh, super effective defense mm-hmm. to that activity. You know, but Dan does stuff like, you know, he talks into the wrong, wrong microphone and I point it out. And then he says that he's not talking into the wrong microphone. And then he, of course, naturally releases the version where he has his local recording and it sounds like I'm nuts. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to just start releasing my own uncut version. It's called content creation mm-hmm. and personal publishing. I'm going to just start pooping those out myself. Yeah, it's a, it's going to be like back to work, Merlin's version. Oh, I get it. Where I uh, t- take back ownership from that one guy. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad she did that. You know, there's that one song of hers I like, that indie rock sounding song, and I like the old version better of that one. Which song is that? Down, 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 down. Change? Change. Oh, yeah. You were talking about that. Yeah. That's not one of those. I like that song a lot. I listen to a lot of the uh, new mixes. Uh, we're, talking we're talking here about, about the uh, Taylor. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, we're talking about Taylor Swift. Uh, the, the, Who somehow. The saga uh, over the ownership of her music, the, the they recordings. Had the, this horrible man. I guess they had the, all the all the publishing, or she got money from it, but he owned the rights. I don't exactly understand it, but she hasn't been able to like control her own music for a long. I know Boohoo Taylor Swift, but like that mm-hmm. sucks. That's uh, that hits me. I'd rather I'd rather keep my stuff than have anybody make a nickel off it. Not because of the money, but just because like you know, if I want to screw it up, I want to screw it up on my own. Yeah, it's kind of a shame because it's like all of her biggest hits and all of her early work, and it's not like. She didn't make any money from them or anything like that. And she still, in a, a weird legal thing that I don't understand, like owned the, the rights to the songs so she could re-record them. But what she didn't own was like that actual recording on the, that actual, you know, song yeah. that you can get on that hit album, whether it's the CD or the MP3 or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So, but since she had the rights to the songs, she just recorded a new version of yeah. those exact same songs. And she called and she released them all. And it's like, insert name of my hit here. Taylor's version. Taylor's version. Yeah. This is a, I think this is an interesting phenomenon. I, I don't even claim to halfway understand how this works, but what I, what I have known for a while is that when it comes to selling big, the only, well, historically anyway, the only real dependable money has been in songwriting. So, you know, if somebody makes a huge hit, like some, I hate this phrase, but some one hit wonder makes a hit with, uh, you take something like, uh, for example, uh, Tainted Love slash Where Did Our Love Go as covered by, I mean, those are two different 
songs covered by Soft Cell. One of them, I don't remember who it is, and the other one's the Supremes, I think. But like, I they make some money from that through their label, whatever their deal with their label is. They make money from selling those records, but that's, I mean, that's never been the big money. Um, and so, for example, I remember reading an article in Spin around the time of Oranges and Lemons that said the only people in XTC, well, there's not that many people in XTC, but it was Andy, mainly Andy Partridge, but also Colin Moulding that were making money and that the other guy basically had to return rental cars to make ends meet because that's how it breaks down. But I think the phrase I want to say is mechanicals. I'll have to look this up, but that's where like you own the rights to the recordings and you can, if, if you're a weirdo like me, you'll see this in interesting places where, for example, Jeff Lynn from ELO and earlier the move, um, like he owned, like he wrote the songs that made the whole world sing, but he didn't own the recordings. So he's done this. Squeeze has done this. A bunch of people have basically re-recorded their records. And I think a little bit of the art to that is you try to make it sound as much as possible like the original. So like, I don't know if you remember this, but ELO had that song, Hold On Tight To Your Dreams. And that was used in a coffee commercial, like in the early 80s, you know, for movers and shakers. And uh, now with so much money in licensing, somebody like Jeff Lynn can say, yeah, you can use this, but I'm going to sell you this version of that that I recorded and have the rights to. And you'll see this sometimes on Spotify or wherever. Yeah, I remember reading this article about the whole different kinds of rights for the song, and it was very complicated. But it is like the upshot is like what you just said, like the, not having the rights to a specific recording. It's it's not as bad as not having not owning your music at all or not, you know, like, again, she could Taylor could re, uh, re-record these songs. But there's something about the versions of those songs that went to number one that were the big hits. And it's kind of frustrating saying, OK, well, somebody even though. I wrote the song, I recorded it, I have the rights to whatever I want with the song in the abstract, whatever that right is that you were talking about, like mechanical right or whatever, that particular recording somebody else owns because Mm -hmm. I made a bad deal with a bad person early in my career, same old story. Um, And so when it comes time to re-record it, like you, you said you can try to make it sound like the original, I don't think Taylor Swift did that exactly. I think it was an opportunity to... yeah. To do a different take on them because she's a different it's also person. Really on, it's older. really on brand for her in, a, in the best way, which is, you know, she's about agency and control in a lot of ways, you know, being 30 and whining about relationships notwithstanding. But she, um, but, but and I, I say good for her. It's her opportunity to like reinterpret them too. Yeah. But I'm mostly with you that, uh, you know, because I heard the original ones, I kind of like the original mix of a lot of the songs uh, better than the remix versions, uh, which is essentially what they are. Uh, but they're both good. But yeah, that's, that's crappy to, to, you know, that's, that's the, the story of all <laughs> recording artists. Like, that's, that's how we get VH1 behind the music. Everybody yeah. makes bad deals with bad people early on and then become famous. And then if they become famous and powerful and wealthy, they feel yeah. like they want all their stuff. And it, sometimes it's difficult to get all that stuff back. So, you know, what can you do? You can re-record. Well, my feelings about that have, I don't know, like so many things have really changed over time where there was a time where like any any other, you know, you know, snork out there, I would go, oh, boo-hoo, these rich people who got rich being rich, like, don't own the thing, but they still, you know, have mansions and stuff. And I don't know. I mean, this is not going to sound surprising coming from me, I guess, but like, I, 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 cause I've had a lot of like public blowouts with people about like, no, you can't just use my tweets in a book. Like, although that seems like pretty small potatoes now, it really bugged me. 
given the amount of like time, the time and effort I would put into that, whether, whether you think it's valuable or not, it's not germane. You thought it was valuable enough to use, but you didn't think it was valuable enough to even ask about, let alone pay for. It's not the paying for. Or like when Gawker started scraping people's feeds to drop stuff into like Gawker sites, they were it, they presented it as like, oh, it's a mini blog. But all they were doing was just scraping feeds and republishing. Like, I don't know, I, I, I that really bugged me. And like so many things in life, the, you know, but I have a daughter as the father of a daughter thing, where you get a new um, empathy toward those kinds of things. And I have to say, from a certain standpoint, becoming somebody who's gotten really huge and who's made money for, I gotta sound like Kanye West, who's made money for a lot of other people, or I guess Jay-Z, he does that too. But like, you know, that sucks that Taylor Swift is still like on the hook with this, this, this jerk. But the other part of it is there's a million different places to wheeze somebody's juice along the way. It could be that a label kind of compelled you to use a certain producer who got a certain number of points, basically a percentage of whatever is sold, or it could be something like, I guess, Phil Spector or Barry Gordy. Well, Phil Spector did actually write a lot of the the hits the girl groups had, but you could also just like be a Barry Gordy who like somehow you're, you're, you get credited with these things. Now I bet with Quincy Jones in the case of Michael Jackson, I bet that was pretty mutually agreeable because he did really bring a lot to the table, but there's so many like misunderstandings about like, you know, just because somebody's well-known or you perceive them to be very successful, like it can be even more galling to have reached what everybody in the world regards as success while you don't own your own stuff or even more gallingly as happened all the time in the 60s you're you're you have some deal with your manager this happened to the stones twice you know about this like the stones got ripped off by their first manager and everybody said oh you got to go with this guy i think it was alan klein got to go with alan klein this guy's the best and the deal they got with alan klein was sort of even crummier, notwithstanding the fact he was not paying taxes he was supposed to be paying for them. And so, like, they had to become, like, tax refugees and move to France, you know? Because at that time in England, the the tax rate, you know, as in the Beatles song, Taxman, was crazy. I don't know. I'm sympathetic. But I do like the original version of uh, uh, of that song. She's very talented, John. I know. I know she is. Um, and the thing about her situation is it's so clarifying in that, it, you know, clearly because she's so wealthy, it's not like, oh, I need this extra five bucks or I'm going to starve to death. It's totally about just, you know, I, this is a thing that I made. It's frustrating to me that I don't, that I can't do what I want with it. Somebody else owns it. And that someone else is kind of a jerk about it. Right. And she did, you know, she, she did what I think is a reasonable thing to do is tell the world about it so they can see what a jerk this person is. And then just go re-record everything yourself. Yeah. Well, and I mean, this might sound cynical, but I'm not saying I, I love the way the world is now, but a reality of the world right now is that the things that you do control and how that feeds into your brand, and we can say that in the Marco voice, but that's a thing. Taylor Swift has a brand. Every, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda, because of his brand, has to go out there and apologize because people in, in the Heights weren't like Latino enough. Although they were awful skinny, skinny and very light skinned. But setting that aside, like I, I, I don't, I don't find that unsympathetic at all. Um, that just seems like typical, like you know, second grade Schadenfreude to just think that, you know, because you someone else has more money than you, they're entitled to like fewer rights at something. And, th- and there's also just I don't know, there's just a million stories of, especially again in the '60s where these bands were like maybe near the top of the charts, bands that had not just like a number one record, but had like a run of records. And they were still never seeing a dime of it. It's it's a 
It's such a crummy industry. You know, it's I mean, it's it's kind of just really a a sort of extreme version of you know, the, the whole rest of our economy and that the people who are doing the work that make the great thing usually don't profit from their work as much as the people who, you know, started the company or own the shares or whatever, right? It's just that in the case of normal work, it's like, well, that's, but that's just distributed. You know, you have hundreds or thousands of employees and yes, the CEO or the shareholders make just way more than everybody else. Yeah. But you can't point at any one employee and say, well, that that is the person that made the iPhone, right? So it doesn't feel so bad. But with Taylor Swift, you can say she wrote the song and uh, and she sings on it. And she probably had a little bit to do with the music. Uh, and so it's so singular, right? I mean, even though yeah. I'm sure she gets lots of help with the music and obviously help with the production and everything like that, we're willing to say, you know, that this is Taylor Swift's thing. Yeah, but I, I doubt Max Martin's working for free. You know, right, right. But but still, like, it's it's just so singular, whereas we are collectively more or less OK with the idea that hundreds of employees will toil on something that makes a very small number of people a huge amount of money while they get slightly less. And, only, you know, yeah. that their only chances if they were early on the startup or got really good stock options or there's all sorts of ways that they feel like they can get a payout from this. But no matter what, the payout is never. Like what people want in the music industry, why VH1 Behind the Music seems so unfair is like we associate, insert celebrity here, so much with the song and we know nothing about anyone else who contributed to it. So it seems terribly unfair that our favorite performer or band got, you know, swindled out of this money by someone we've never heard of. Uh, The flip side of that, obviously, is that, you know, those bands and those people don't actually make hits literally all by themselves. It's just that they're the only name we know. So it's easy to assign to that, but we feel less bad when somebody who, you know, joined a company a week after the good stock option deal was over and they shipped an amazing product. Didn't get as obscenely wealthy as the people who were hired before them and certainly didn't get as obscenely wealthy as the CEO. Yeah. 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 I I know this is an extremely dramatic, hard pivot, but I think there's a bigger pattern at play here that goes straight into, if not exactly my wheelhouse, definitely your wheelhouse. And this is the kind of thing where you could tell somebody when they're younger, or you could try to, you know, not tell somebody, but you could try to like sort of try to get somebody's head around this one concept that is inextricably linked with getting older and realizing, whatever you want to call it, how the world works. Uh, the, the example I would, would eventually get here to is is how many people, in, and I don't know if this is still true, but how many people got into scripting programming development with the idea before, w- w- did they know when they started messing around with basic that they would eventually end up in a career where their only way up might be having to manage people and processes, which is such a different thing from, you know, sitting at your computer at your own speed and making the thing you want to make it's such a different thing. And, but I feel like it goes for like a innumerable industries. A huge one would be, uh, I love to cook. So therefore I want to run a restaurant and it's like, well, the, but you know, the problem with that is like on the one hand, yeah, you can get hired to be a cook. You could be trained to become a chef, but like running a restaurant that takes a, a, a pretty different set of skills and when you reach a certain point, you're going to probably end up spending more time running the restaurant than you are like, you could develop a menu, but at that point, you're more like the creative director of the restaurant, but you're still the one who has to make payroll. And like, that's something I wish I had learned or figured out or heard earlier in life is that, 
you know, it's, it's not show friend, it's show business. Like whatever it is you go into, you know, it's the people who sell the picks, picks and axes that make money from the gold rush. It's the, it's the lawyers who are going to make money from the business boom. And I don't mean that to sound, again, not to sound cynical, but it's just that like thinking that because you love something or love doing something is a really long way from understanding how that industry works and then finding yourself kind of like enmeshed in the gears of an industry that's way better at doing what that industry does than you could ever be. And you, if you're at the point where you're a multi-million selling artist and you find you're finding you're like still playing catch up with the management, with the label, with, you know, whomever, don't, don't you think that's kind of a, a big pattern to learn in life? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a thing maybe you don't learn. Like it's, it's the same reason the, the, the young artists all get swindled because they don't know what they don't know. Like, Oh, I'm just, I'm just happy to, that someone wants to hear my music and I got a record deal and whatever. And yeah, it's the obvious why you, you know, like only later after you're a grizzled veteran and if you're lucky enough to become a grizzled veteran of the industry, because you stayed in it long enough and were successful enough to keep going on that as a career, then you know what you should have done. The same deal when you go start working at a restaurant or whatever. In the beginning, you're just lucky to have a job. You feel like, oh, well, you know, whatever, I'm doing this thing. I'm busting tables and blah, blah, blah. And restaurants are a great example. Tons of people working really hard all the time. Um, and at the end of the night shift or whatever, everyone gets paid whatever they're going to get paid based on their salary, their position, our terrible tipping system and everything like that. But let's say we had an amazing night uh, and it was New Year's Eve and tons of people came in and spent a lot of money. There is profit at the end of the night. And for the most part, that profit does not get evenly distributed to all of the people who worked hard that night to make that money. Not at all. They get yeah. whatever their salary is and maybe their tips, which maybe the tips are better than night too. But still, like over the long haul, the profit of from the restaurant does not accrue, it does not get sprinkled across all of the employees. That's just not the way it works. And so if you work in the restaurant industry for a long time, you're, you're like, I'm breaking my back here. Maybe I should start a restaurant because from what I observed, the way you make the actual money, like the equivalent of songwriting or whatever, is, hey, maybe if you own the restaurant. <laughs> and then right. the more profit you make, of course, the downside is if the restaurant fails, that's all your money down the toilet, too. And it's in the risk-reward trade-off and so on and so forth. But you don't you don't even think like that when you're getting your first job as a busboy. Like, it's not no, even on your radar. No. And in the same way, I don't think you, even though we have generations of people who grew up watching behind the music, because the entertainment industry is such a sort of major league baseball kind of a fraction of a fraction of a percent or even are going to get there, you're like... I just want a deal. I just want my songs out there. And then once you're, you know, a number one artist for 10 years, you're like, every deal I had was terrible and I was dumb. <laughs> yeah, I watched a, uh, do I want to recommend this? I mean, it's, the story's fantastic. The movie, as usual in these kinds of cases, is like, mm, whatever. It's a Disney movie, but uh, there's a documentary on Disney Plus called Howard, uh, about Howard Ashman who, uh, God, what an interesting life this guy had. Uh, he's best known to us for this improbable run. I mean, I'm leaving out a lot here, including that he did Little Shop of Horrors with Alan Menken. But, but um, he's best known to a lot of us for having written the lyrics for uh, Little Mermaid, for Aladdin, and for, uh, importantly, Beauty and the Beast. And it's, there's a lot to this story that's very, very sad. Um, you know, it's... It's hard to be a creative gay man, you know, in any decade. And, you know, the way his life ends is really, really sad. But um, but it's uh, there's so many of these sorts of, I don't even want to say lessons, but at least things to make you mad about, you know, that he went through, like tr like working with Marvin Hamlish to do this staging 
of the the cheerleader uh, story, Smile, and like how it had been so well received and it did really great, but like it didn't do great enough. And then like, and when they did their, you know, they did the, um, you know, whatever the version is where you, you do the performance for reviewers and the New York Times savaged it. And like everybody involved was like, God, the, the whole house was just on fire that night with how much people loved this. And this one <laughs> bad review from the Times just sunk it. You know, and like um, David Geffen and all the other Schubert people pulled out of this. You might want to check it out, like uh, listeners. Uh, Howard Ashman, a very interesting guy, very cool guy. Um, you know, kind of a bummer of a life, but like, there's just always, there's always somebody there to give you the scroogey. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all those industries where uh, the game is, games, speaking of video games, I don't know you love mm-hmm. the games industry is like that too. Any industry where it is plausible to make the pitch that you're just lucky to be here. People will make that pitch and they will make that pitch. There's as always a way somebody who will you. sacrifice more to get less than you. Right. And, and the people and people in power know that and they use that to exploit you for, for all purposes. Like, well, you know, your alternative is you're not here at all. So feel either get exploited or go elsewhere. And it's not get it's exploited not or die trying. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a less popular uh, rap album from the nineties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, work hard or die trying, girl. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Instabug. You can learn more about Instabug right now by visiting try.instabug.com slash diffs. Building mobile apps presents some challenges. Of course, you know that. I mean, obviously, I know that. You get bugs, you get crashes, performance issues. It can be a nightmare for developers. But what if you can not only detect all of those issues, but understand the quality of your app from your user's point of view? Sounds pretty handy. Well, Instabug's lightweight SDK grabs all the insights that you need to build quality apps through comprehensive bug and crash reports, performance monitoring, and real-time user feedback, and it's all in one SDK. It's pretty great. With Instabug, you can continuously monitor and measure the performance of your app as perceived by your users. You can engage with your users by letting them report issues and questions right from inside your app. And you can get all the information that you need about bugs, crashes, and other issues. And then you can fix those issues in record time, all with focus on privacy and security. And don't worry about the hassle of switching to a new tool. It only takes a minute to integrate Instabug into your app and it fits right within your workflow. It's got support for uh, Jira, Slack, Trello, GitHub, Zendesk, or wherever you like to handle these issues. I, I could really use a place to handle my issues, you know, if I'm being honest. So please, um, the listeners, friends, go. And right now, please join over 25,000 top mobile developers around the world who use Instabug to ship high-quality apps. And all you have to do is uh, you go uh, use your computer on the internet, and you go to try.instabug.com slash diffs. That's D-A-F-F-S, try.instabug.com slash Diffs. And our thanks to Instabug for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Uh, hey, everybody. It's Reconcilable Differences. And, uh, and this is a, a show that John Syracuse does. And, and I'm, I'm his little monkey. Tags along, gets in the trunk sometimes. E-E-E. You're a big monkey. Oh, you're a big monkey. Did you see the <laughs> monkey, did you see the monkey that, that clips the ends off the green beans? Did you see that video? I heard you talking about the monkey that peels the oh. strings off the bananas. Is this the same monkey? 
No, different monkey. It's a totally different, different head. No, no, John John found a chimp. Was it a chimp that, that's, that gets the strings off the banana and there's a twist? I cannot I believe spoil it. You, you made it through that whole episode of Roderick on my line and at no point did either one of you say, not my circus, not my monkeys. I also did not correct his Freud reference. But I'm not here to correct people. There's a question. No, but that, but you, not my circus, not my monkeys. Uh, that's, your, that's your thing. It's a Polish proverb and I, and I love it very much. And you didn't, it didn't pop out of you. I was waiting for it the whole episode. When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? You talked about <laughs> monkeys and just never came up. Did you know that there's a question I like to ask myself sometimes, John? It's a question I think all of us should ask ourselves. Can I tell you what that question is? Sure. Question is, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Oh, there you go. Right. That mm-hmm. was featured. That was a good episode. Did you listen the whole thing? I did. Kind of bangs at the end a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like creating content. I like making a man eating them. Not poop, but content. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Don't scrape my feed, Nick. Jesus Christ, just because you grew up in a broken country with a stupid tablet. Don't, don't think you can come over here. You come here to our country, you don't even learn the language. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you you got you to get a link to the, uh, the both of those monkeys for the notes because oh, I yeah. haven't seen any of them. Uh, the, the, banana, the strings off the banana monkey and the clip in the ends off the green beans monkey. Okay, so let's see. So the two monkeys you meet in heaven. You're good, man. Because it's always two monkeys with you. Wow, man. And fuego. Sir, what am I doing? Circus and monkeys. Uh, I'm doing green bean monkey title. Yep. And I'm doing banana monkey. Yeah. Banana. How much could one monkey cost, Michael? Mm-hmm. Um, God, God, it, pain, it pains me when I see people doing a reference to, to the, the rest of development thing and they get the meaning exactly reversed. I guess, mm. I mean, I'm hoping it doesn't catch on and that just becomes like the, the real meaning. Well, uh, give it to me in pigs and bunnies. So, so some, I, how, oh, oh, you know what it is? It's the one with Mr. Banana Grabber and the one with the, right? Isn't that the one with the flamer? I don't remember the episode, but I the joke is. I think it's the one is, where maybe, maybe and George Michael are working in the banana stand and maybe says she, she wants money from the cash register, but then she starts throwing bananas away thinking that that will cover up the money that's missing. And George Michael's like, is it that one? Remind me what happens. What does, what does Lucille say? I do. I, yeah, I don't know the episode, but the joke is there's a you know Lucille is a older woman who's very wealthy and out of touch, and the joke is that yes. she says, "How much could one banana cost? Ten dollars." Because she's so out of touch, she thinks a banana costs ten dollars, and that would be nothing to her because she's very wealthy. That's the joke that she that's, massively that's overestimates how much a banana costs. Yes, and then I see the joke exactly reversed, where someone says, "How much could a whatever cost? Five cents?" and it's like, no, the joke is that it's supposed to be a person who's out of touch, who thinks things are way more expensive because they're so wealthy and $10 is nothing to them. And it angers me when they get it wrong. They didn't learn the real lesson. They didn't learn the, the real lesson. No, no, it doesn't work as a joke. It's not funny anymore. And it's an inaccurate reference. It's two Did strikes. they ever get to the fireworks factory? They did not. What about those wigs? Remember when we went to Knoxville and got those wigs? I don't. I love, I, that's one thing I love. You guys should check out this TV show, The Simpsons. It's so funny because they, what did they, what did they do is Milhouse got like a fake ID and they rented a car and like Milhouse, Bart, and I want to say, um, who's haha Nelson and maybe not Ralph, but the smart Ralph, um, Martin, they go on a road <laughs> trip. Martin's not the smart Ralph. Come on. Save it for the show. But they, they go on a car <laughs> trip and they decide they're going to go to the, the world's fair in uh, Knox, I think it's in Knoxville, and they get there and didn't realize that they were seeing old information, and that was actually from 1981. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and the big tower, they're so excited to go to the big tower, and they go there, and and now it's a guy who sells wigs in the tower. 
you remember this? That's not that's not the episode where Homer buys the crab juice, right? That's another one where they go to a city, but I think that's actually New that's York. That's when he goes to New York and yeah. he he uh he gets the kalkosh. Mm-hmm. With ooh, crab juice. Ma- he goes, ooh, Mountain Dew. Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, good good Mountain Dew slam. Um and um yeah, and they go up there and that one character, probably Hank Azaria. You know, unless you want, unless you want a wig, and then you cut to them sitting on a curb, all four wearing ladies' wigs. Yeah, very funny oh. show. It is. I remember that episode. I do actually have some follow up today. Welcome to Reconcilable Differences. It's a show with John Syracuse and his Monkey Circus, and uh, the gang's all here. So uh, if you like the like the show and want to support it, you can go to relay.fm/rd. Have you have you noticed that I've gotten? I hate to bring this up, but you never compliment me on it. Have you noticed how professional I am about making sure to mention this? I mean, you're very consistent. Okay. I think I think you're you're welcome to uh, reconcilable differences. Uh, it's a it's a weekly challenge podcast, and nope. um, it's a week, by week, it's a fort, fortnightly <laughs> fortnightly topic podcast. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> it's recorded in the everything that's everything that's in the the fortnight is in the fortnight. Oh, um, I just realized. Yes, speaking really, of really. this, slash uh, rd. Go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you make the it pitch. difficult for me to be professional. You, you know, I no, create you a lot it, of content. You, got it, you did it. You nailed it. It's good. But I just it just occurs to me that the follow up I'm about to give is a follow up to last week's bonus con- last week last episode's bonus content, uh, which if you didn't hear, if you want to hear it, if you can become a member, you can listen to all of the bonus content. The bonus content is always at the end of the episode. Good job, John. That was really competent. Well done. Yep. And it is. Uh, it's at the end of the episodes, and it's uh, one at least one episode per month has bonus content. Last episode had bonus content where we. Talked about cameras. <laughs> talked stuff. about the concept of cameras, <laughs> right? And the and uh, we also talked about my eternal procrastination of buying things. Got into talking about TVs, so on and so forth. Um, you don't need to have necessarily heard that to appreciate my very brief follow up on it. Now everybody knows you're always you're always in the market. You got this Sony camera you like, and now you're uh, just to review, and you you'll correct me because you're you. Mm-hmm. Is that you're on the horns of a dilemma because vacation is coming up, such as it may be, and you're on the horns of a dilemma because you need to find out if. Sony is going to release a new version of a camera. And so is it going to be a thing where you can live with your perfectly fine setup and lenses? You don't want to go to a four by three or whatever it's called or anamorphic or whatever your, your, <laughs> you don't want the fancy one. You want to keep the anamorphic lenses you've got. And Obama says you can keep it if you like them. And so you're on the horns of a dilemma because you need to, you need Sony to tell you, you know, or, does John need to sign on the line that is dotted? Right. And so, and so you're always, you're waiting to see, is this a good time to get the thing? Always waiting for Sony. That should have been the title of the last episode. Waiting for Sony. Waiting for Sony hmm. for a lot of things. Um, so I just listened to the last episode uh, earlier today. And what I said in that episode was, uh, you know, I I'd kind of I, listening back to myself, I realized that I'm listening to someone who has essentially made a decision during during this recording, because I the way I laid it out was, OK, <gasps> here's the info I have. Before, the camera before you tell me the answer, let me guess. But keep going. Oh, go ahead. Guess. You have to guess now because I'm about to say you decided you're happy with what you have. No, you didn't listen close to the episode. You should listen back to it. Um, Which one am I? Yeah. So here's, uh, and I, I find this too. Even though I was you on sounded the episode, like you'd made to... your piece. Okay, so I got it backwards. I thought you'd made your piece, and you were basically. It sounded to me like you were kind of not grudgingly, but somewhat reluctantly saying, because you don't seem like a person who just acquires things to acquire things. You want the nice version, and you want the unbroken spine, you know. Um, and, but like, it sounded like you were like, well, you know. In any case, I'll be fine with what I've got. This all works great. They're still really good. But that's, I got that wrong. Yeah, your recollection is slightly off. Um, Okay. So what I had said was, okay, the new camera that I'm waiting for, latest rumors say it's not going to come out into the fall. So 
that doesn't help. So I've got to make a decision without that information. Cause I'm not going to wait. I didn't want to wait till the fall. And I said, if I, if I were to buy something now based on the things that are actually available to purchase now, I know just what I'd get. I'd get X, I'd get Y, I'd get Z. Um, because it's, uh, the, you know, the camera and the lenses and everything that I've been researching for a long time. Uh, but it's only if I had to get something now, uh, if I could wait, I'd really like to see what the full frame thing does, but also full frame is bigger and heavier and more expensive and yeah, four by so, three, right? Uh, APS-C. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so what I did oh, was sorry, exactly what it, I said. Say it again. Say, say those letters again. APS-C is the sensor size. I think, unless I'm getting it totally wrong. No, it's I thought I was doing to... like a funny Marco bit there because it yeah, sounded like no, you were talking right, about yeah, file systems. I'm with you. I'm with you. I just got uh, <sighs> off track thinking of it. APS-C. Yes, it is. All right. So I did what I said on the show, which is uh, I'm not going to wait for the camera that's coming out in the fall because that's too long. Mm-hmm. And I know just what I'm going to buy. I have to buy now. So that's what I did. I bought hmm. the stuff that I had planned to buy if I had to choose uh, what's available now. So it's basically just a fancier version of my old camera and all new lenses. Because not that my old lenses were bad. I like them. But I'm sorry. My... I was hypnotized by how handsome Howard, Howard Ashman is. You <laughs> decided you're going to buy an extant on the market new version of the camera you've got and keep your old lenses? Well, I do keep my old lenses because they're compatible, but I bought all new lenses because part of what I learned from, and I just looked this up, oh. I, my, I bought my previous camera almost five years ago. So it's a five-year-old camera. Um, and I replaced it with like a two-year-old or a one-year-old camera. I forget when this one came out. Okay. Um, but the point is I didn't go full frame because there are no full frame cameras that uh, appealed to me slash were, were within my budget. Um, I just basically got a better version of my previous camera. My previous camera was APS-C, so is this one. I think it's the exact same sensor, but it has everything about it is better. Longer battery life, better autofocus, better interface, slightly um, better The controls. interface thing I, can be huge. Don't, don't sleep on that. A better interface can really mean a lot. I'm not kidding. I'm being dead serious. It's still pretty crappy, but it's better. Like, everything about it is better than my previous camera, except for the sensor. Like, in the end, it is still an APS-C size sensor, and that's all there is to it. But my experience with buying lenses from my previous camera led me to this down this road of research of like, okay, well, uh, is there a better version, a, a better set of lenses for the purposes that I use them? And the good thing is all my old lenses still also fit on this so I can mix and match, but I That's did fantastic. buy all new versions of, uh, all new lenses. And that was exciting. And then I really spent a long time. The one thing that I didn't reach research exhaustively because I hadn't actually decided what I was going to buy is the accessory stuff, as in what bags to put stuff in. You're buying new lenses? Well, great. Now you need something to put the lenses in. You can't just have them rattling around, right? Mm-hmm. And you got a new camera, you need a bag to put that in, and it's not going to fit in your old camera bag with these new lenses. And I hadn't exhaustively researched bags, so I had to buy a lot of bags and a lot of tubes to put lenses in. It's a surprisingly difficult process. Uh, so that's the only yeah. sort of scramble research that I needed to do. But beyond that, I got... A camera and some lenses, and I'm happy with it. Did you get like like faster lenses, different. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Focal lengths. Like, w- like, did you get nicer versions of a lens you've got? Like, if you got like a fast fifty. Yeah. So, I mean, the lenses that I had before was I had uh, a prime, a fifty millimeter prime. Uh, yeah. All these measurements, like it's, I say fifty millimeters. But remember, it's not a full frame camera, so the full frame equivalent is more zoomed in than fifty millimeters. But anyway, but that's pretty close to what the human eye sees. No, it's not. <laughs> what, 50, do you, what do you think the because human like, I think like a 50 millimeter on an APS-C is like an 85 millimeter on a full frame oh I'm really confused okay yeah anyway um, I, I had a series of, of zoom lenses to try to reach kids out in the surf who were far away 
And in general, zoom lenses are, you know, very long and unwieldy and not that great quality and not that fast unless you want to spend a hojillion dollars. So I had a couple different zoom lenses, none of which I was really happy with. And then I had what I call my everyday lens, which was at the time the best lens I could find that was, you know, that was zoomable. So it went from, you know, fairly wide to a little bit zoomed to give me flexibility. If you just want to have one lens all day, this one can do most of the things for you. But of course, those lenses are always very compromised. You know, not as not as it's basically sharpness, not as sharp, not as well controlled as it's 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 a it's the it's the trade offs of cameras writ large. You know, there's everything's a trade off with cameras, like down to like what's your ISO versus your you know all the different things. But then with lenses, everything's a trade off too. It's 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 very difficult. You could buy the nicest freaking like those fancy like tan colored cannons, and like the you're well, now you're, now your trade off might be weight. Your trade-off might be, I can't afford to replace this if I leave it in the bathroom. It's just so many trade-offs. What, what did you end up with? What's your range? Yeah, so what I wanted to replace was I needed, I wanted to have a, I mean, well, I looked at all my lenses. And the, the lens I liked the best, my favorite lens, was the Prime, because it's kind of hard to screw that up, and I had a really nice Prime. It was f uh, F1.8, so not that fast, but fast enough. That's, that's fast enough, yeah. Right. Um, my everyday lens, I liked... Almost everything about it, it was like not very big, not very heavy, well constructed. It was just a little soft. It's just not yeah. that great of a lens. It was, it was, uh, I forget, I forget what the aperture was. The aperture wasn't particularly, uh, great. It wasn't very fast. Um, mm-hmm. and then my zoom lens, I just had a cheap zoom lens and I knew it was garbage. And it was like, well, what can you do? Like, you know, my big zoom. So I was open to replacing all those. And the many years since I've had this camera, I've looked at all different replacements. And so I did, I replaced them all. So, Except for the Prime, which I'll still use, but I got a new Prime because Primes are cheap, right? So I got a Sigma 56 millimeter Prime. And that's <gasps> F- F1.4. So Wait a minute. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. Hang on. Jim, marker, hang on one second. Oh, actually, you're going to leave this in. It'll be fine. I want to go, I'm going to go grab mine real quick because I have a Sigma 50 millimeter and I have a Sigma ranged one. Can I grab it and be right back? Yep, go for it. Uh, and I'll keep listening, but I, I want to hear. Hang on. Who does Howard Ashman look like? Hmm. Not a very flattering picture. Okay. I put links in the in the chat if you want to, because I, I prepared links. This one's <laughs> eight. This one I really like I got for my black magic is 18 to I mean it's not you're not gonna have the same lens because we have different mounts. So I like the Sigma lenses though, and they come with that nice little bag. Yeah. So anyway, I have a faster prime. It's okay. a little bit it zoomed in a little bit more. Fifty six millimeters is fifty, but hey, I still have my fifty. Still fits, still works, right? So I, I, I got a, a new prime, right? For my everyday lens, I had two choices. There was a Sony that lens uh, that was what is it like sixteen to fifty five, which is not like my how, my, how fast? How fast? Uh, I forget. I think uh, okay, 2.8? okay, fast. Yeah, it was okay, fast. It was. I think it was like f two point eight. That's a pretty my, good range for walking around. Right. But I was used to my, my previous everyday lens went up to 70 and I really leaned heavily. I spent a lot of time zoomed all the way into 70 because, you know, taking pictures from things far away. The Sony lens is the best sort of everyday walking around lens. The one that came in second place to it is the Tamron 17 to 70. It's almost as good and it goes to 70 millimeters and it's half the price. So mm-hmm. it's hard. To, I like. I spent a long time, and it's it's a little bit bigger too. I was like, boy, that Sony that Sony lens is great, but it's only fifty five millimeters, and I really wish it went to seventy. And here's one that goes to seventy, and it's almost as good as the Sony, and it's literally half the price. Have you, so have you gotten it and played with it yet? Oh yeah, and I've got all this stuff. It, how how do you like it? 
So the 17 to the Tamron 17 to 70, uh, it's great. It's F 2.8. Uh, it is huge. It's so much bigger than, than the, the one that it was replacing. So that's the only downside that I found so far is my everyday lens now is, is gigantic. Um, but it's not that heavy. It's, it's uh, there's some plastic used in its construction. So it's not quite as heavy as like the all metal ones. Um, I'm mostly happy with it. It takes good pictures, but anyway, that replaced my everyday lens. And then finally for the zoom, I got the relatively new, like a year or two old Sony 70 to 350, which is only, uh, it's only a 4.5 to 6.3, but it's for like taking it's at the beach. Pictures. You'll be at the yeah, beach. You'll exactly. be fine. So like on paper, I have a 17 to 70 and a 70 to 350 and then a 56 millimeter prime and a 50 millimeter prime. So I'm really happy with the range I can get covered there. And it's pretty obvious in any situation which lens I want to use. Hey, are you taking like portraits or low light pictures? Take your fast prime lens, right? Mm -hmm. Are you taking pictures of people out in the surf? Get the big giant zoom lens. And for your everyday lens, it's 17 to 70 covers very wide range of usual stuff. Again, the only downside is that 17 to 70 is vast. It's very big. So much bigger than the thing it replaces, but it's also so much, uh, so much better lens. Um, and it's faster as well. So we'll have links to all these things in the show notes. Oh, and by the way, the camera is the Sony a6600, which okay. has amazing tracking. It has animal detection in, in addition to human detection, Ooh. which is a big upgrade in my life. The only downside Heck is you yeah. have to switch it. You have to switch it from animal to human. But anyway, I take so many <laughs> pictures of my dog. It's so great to be able to <laughs> switch to Dr. Moreau. <laughs> yeah. So great to be able to switch to dog mode and have it understand my dog's <laughs> face and take great pictures. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's not a full frame. It's not, a, it, you know, the sensor is not gathering any more light than it was before, but I do have faster and better lenses. Um, and so I'm excited to go on vacation with the setup. And now it's so it's safe now for Sony to release the uh, a seven four. Good. Well, you know, and you're not going to have regret. You've, you've made, you've chosen well. I mean, like the, the reason I pulled the trigger on this is like, I, I get to reuse all my existing lenses. It's a camera that I'm very Ooh. familiar with. Like if you look at both of them, you might mistake one for the other. It's, it was a safe bet and it was so much cheaper than any full frame option. Even with all these fairly expensive lenses, lenses, the total cost of all this is like less than the body of like a good full frame camera. So there's a, there's a, this is going to be one of those things that I'm pretty positive. You're going to want to fact check me on, but th- there's a thing that we used to say in the eighties and nineties, which is, I don't know what the rule of thumb was, but something along the lines of whatever you're going to spend for your entire stereo setup, like at least half of that should be on the speakers. You know, you can't have a good rock band without a, you can't have a great rock band without a good drummer. And you, no matter how nice the camera is, if you don't have nice lenses, you know, like you can get an okay, good Canon Rebel type camera, but it comes with that little weird plastic lens that's not super great. Whereas like if you have a, maybe less highly functional camera. I, I, so I'm kind of talking on my butt, but this is, I found this to be mostly true. I noticed the difference in lenses way more than I noticed the difference in cameras. Because that's the, the lens is doing so much of the work in the same way that like you could buy, uh, I don't know, a good stereo, a Macintosh, I guess was one that you, or a Nakamichi or whatever. But like if you have crummy speakers, like that, it's going to die right there. It's not going to sound good. Yeah, the only tricky part of there is that, of course, the body dictates the kind of lenses you're going to invest in. Well, being in the Canon family is nice because I, I got a black magic where I could use all, you know, they're all Canon compatible lenses. So that makes it easy. What what else is there? Is there Nike? Is it Nikon? Is it still Nikon versus Canon? Mostly? Yeah, and, but then Sony. Sony's in the mix. The, the weird thing yeah. about Sony is that I'm Sony uses... Well, yeah, of course, I bet the Sony ones only work on Sonys, right? Well, they all only work on their own things, but they're adapters to go across all of them. Well, but play with me in the space. Let's go back in time. 
to the 1990s, where like if you had a Sony camera, you had those had those dumb little purple Sony only sticks. Like Sony seems to me all well. My perception of Sony was that their stuff was really cool. There was I loved the way their stuff looked. I loved the way that it worked. But like there was always some little like whether it was Sony Vio where you had to buy all Sony stuff. I say this now as an Apple user and it sounds hilarious. But it was always that you had to have a special version of something to use it with a Sony. But but you got a Sony camera, so it makes sense. Yeah, Sony snapped that out a long time ago. Um, and the the good the clever thing about uh, Sony's cameras is they have the same mount on their full frame cameras and their APS-C cameras, which you would think doesn't make any sense. And in some respects, it doesn't because if you buy an APS-C lens and you put it on a, a Sony full frame, it will physically fit, but you won't actually be able to fill the entire sensor with light. So most of the the Sony full frames have a crop mode where you can say just capture an APS-C size rectangle, right? But hmm. the reverse is also true. If you get a full frame lens for a full frame Sony camera, you can just stick that on any Sony APS-C camera and it will work fine. That's that, cool. In that case, you have more light than you need. You know, you're sort of overdoing it. Now, why you would do that, I don't know. But like what it means, because you'd be putting a bigger, heavier lens on your smaller camera. But the good thing is that if you invest in E-mount lenses, they're not entirely wasted no matter which direction you go in the Sony lines. So all these lenses that I bought, and I think I've spent five, maybe six times as much money on lenses than camera bodies in, in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's 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 the way to do it is buy a body mm-hmm. with no lenses. Don't buy the kit lens. Just buy find body only. Yeah. And then yeah. once you get lens. a different lens on there, you can't believe. It. So the, the for this Blackmagic camera that I'm really still learning, we talked about this last week in the after show member episode content. Uh, but for those who weren't there, um, you know, the the short short version for me was I love this Blackmagic camera. It's really fun to learn, but it's much more of like really learning a new skill. Like there's, there's already so many factors with any camera, you know, so many different things to learn. And it's what, you know, you can go out and just take snapshots, but to like with this black magic, which is a, it's for all practical purposes, a video only camera, you can take a still, but it's really not meant for that. And so I did my research. What did I get for that? I got the Sigma 18 to 35 1.8, which is, which I've been real happy with, but it's really big. And the other one I got was I got the Sigma 50 millimeter 1.4. Now, here's the, the thing I just wanted to say, and I think I said something kind of related to this last week, but th- that it's great. This, it's, it's really crisp. I like it a lot. The 50 millimeter 1.4, my goodness, that's, I mean, that's not pro level, but that's plenty fast. But the downside of it is it's big. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it's not like a, the kind of lenses your parents had on their you know, or their SLRs in the 80s or 90s. It's really, really big. But like, and so like the functional downside of that, and the thing I said last week that was so interesting for me is with these nice cameras, it it got me interested in playing with my Canon again, which is, you know, sitting right here. Um, And I found that like, I, I would just use it less with the giant fancy 50 millimeter. And I found myself, if I wanted to just walk around and take, I'm not going to carry it all the time. I've already got too much junk to carry around. But like, if I want to like have, you know, an afternoon of like taking photos just to like get unrusty, uh, I would just stick the like $80 50 millimeter, the 1.8, I think it's 1.8 from uh, Canon on there. And I'm more likely to use it. Not like in your case, like you have this for a purpose, which is John photographs things on vacation. And that's like a thing that you do. But like it is again back to the trade-offs, you know, all of these things of like I'm much more likely to have a camera I'm comfortable throwing in a bag and taking somewhere. Well, first of all, because it doesn't have a several hundred dollar lens on it, but also just that's the smaller form factor of that little 
you know, I think it's like $80 lens, it makes me more likely to use it. It's a, it's a funny, ironic trade-off to me. Yeah, that's why I kind of miss my old everyday lens, because it had the right zoom range, the right size, the right weight. It just wasn't that great of a lens, right? Yeah. I took a lot of pictures yeah. with it, but the thing is, I can go through my photo library and I can pick out without even looking. Like, even if they were both, because the, the, the everyday lens can zoom to 50 millimeters. It's right in the middle of the zoom range. Even if it's exactly zoomed to 50, I can tell which one was on the prime mm -hmm. and which one was on there because oh, there's just so much absolutely. softer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it hurts my heart. So now I have a much better lens, but it is bigger. Uh, I'll probably deal with it. I mean, even with a tripod, I bet you'd notice the difference. I mean, without a tripod, it's not even a fair fight. You know, if you're if you're shooting, and again, I don't know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Please forgive me. But like, if I'm shooting something with that 1.4, and I just do the most basic stuff of keep the light behind you holding your breath for a second when you squeeze, not like, you know, <laughs> you know, you squeeze a trigger, you don't pull it. Right. And in this case, like, but with a tripod, you, I don't know, you have so much more possibility. The, um, what was the other thing? You know, what's weird to think about. I think about this as I, as I find myself just lost in all of the different combinations of variables. I mean, I, I get confused looking at the camo app and trying to figure out if I want to customize, you know, ISO and all the things in, in that. And I, of course I don't. That's the whole point of using camo with an iPhone is that like you get really good video. I did a video today and like I, I jutted something up, you know, real close to the lens and it like instantly very sharply focused on the thing that I'd thrust up there. I'm not going to get that with the Blackmagic camera and you're not supposed to. But the more I, I, I spend time with any of this stuff, the more gobsmacked I am to think about when you had a film camera and like you had a roll of film, you would set, I think, I, I mean, I know for sure, like if you want black and white, you got to have a roll of black and white film. And unless you have some like, you know, fancy, you know, bag to change it in or whatever, you're going to shoot that roll of black and white, those 24 photos or whatever. You have no idea if you got it or not until you get it back. And you don't have a way of bringing up the equivalent of EXIF data to remind you, why is this the good one? It's, it's so remarkable to me. And I, I guess there's, there's probably unsurprising psychological phenomena that explain how and why people got better with film cameras, you know, because they couldn't be sloppy and rely on EXIF data to know. You know what I mean? Do you ever think about that, though? How crazy? Like, you think about the amazing photos people have gotten over, you know, a century or more with not knowing what it looks like until they get it back processed and returned. It was just like, I mean, I, I kind of lived this. It was a higher barrier to entry. Only the people who really cared about photography would invest the time required to become good enough with that because it's so brutal. Like you said, you take them, you don't, the the sort of like right, the right debug, uh, you know, change loop or whatever from like software, it's so long. Right? And, mm -hmm. and, you know, and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. costly because you have to keep it's buying really more like film. punch cards film in that case, cost right? Lots of money. People don't remember this, but film costs money to buy and then it costs money to develop if you didn't have your own darkroom. And so they're really narrowed to sort of the priesthood of people who are willing to invest that much of their life in this. And the only reason I'm into photography <laughs> is because <laughs> that barrier, the narrow, the narrow priesthood, <laughs> yeah, is that the barrier to entry got so much lower and that allowed me to get in because I still don't really know much about photography, but it allowed me to take just thousands and thousands of terrible pictures without it costing too much money and also connects to my other hobby computers, right? So digital cameras is what got me into photography. I, I would never have been into, I wasn't into photography, you know, when it was film. I, a lot of people in my high school and middle school were into it. And I'm like, ah, it just seems like too much work for like, 
I know how hard it's going to be to just work on this and I don't care enough about it to invest the time, but digital cameras is what got me in. So yeah, I take a lot of, a lot of pictures. The secret to taking good pictures has always been the same, which is take a lot of pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, that costs a lot more money when you're doing with film and it's less satisfying when you're doing with film because you have to, well, it's less instantly gratifying, let's say, because you have to wait and that takes even more time. The one, the one trick I'll add, you mentioned like using the, uh, the cheaper prime lens is, you know, you're more willing to take it around because it's smaller and also because you're not worried about the lens. This is one sort of mental trick that I didn't sort of consciously set myself on doing, but I notice it now when briefly I get sort of a glimpse of the matrix, which is I have the ability to forget how expensive my lenses are. Without that ability, I think I would be, I would be paralyzed with fear. <laughs> I mean, you think about driving an automobile. Like if you ever, in the same way, there's all this availability heuristic about how we think about risk in the world. Mm -hmm. but like if you really thought about like what your monthly car payment is, like you might never get in your car. Like that's a lot of money to be driving. And how much, how much of the car costs. I mean, at, least, yes. at least the car is insured. But like, you know, I, I did this when I was buying all the stuff. They're always pitching you on like the extended warranty or whatever. And I was like, ah, no, I'm fine. I haven't broken any lenses yet. But honestly, like the only reason I notice it is every once in a while, I'll just like, I'll be on vacation with some camera and some, you know some random casual place or like some other little kid in the family playing with a camera. And I'm like, how much does that lens cost? Because again, my lenses, I have cheap camera body. So my lenses generally cost more than my camera, sometimes by multiples. And it just, you can't think about that because you'll never use your camera. So I, uh, that is a pro tip for enjoying taking pictures. Don't think about how expensive your lenses Well, you are. think about those little sticky fingers being on there. Want to be careful with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, just... It precariously perched on the edge or something. Oh, yeah. and the bag thing. God, the, we're going to burn this whole show on camera things. I'm sorry. We'll get to our uh, topic in the next episode, probably. The bag thing is fraught. Oh, absolutely. I don't, what are your, oh, for your still image camera, what is your bag situation? What is, or maybe, I don't want to be a leading question. Bag or no bag? Like, what is, what is your physical transport situation? Um, so I think that's actually a really good question. Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge, I think you're right. Because you can way over-engineer over your whole setup. If, if it's not obvious, I think, I think part of success in, in one's life is to figure out how to create not just the conditions for success, if you can do that. I think creating the conditions for, le for, for less catastrophic failure is a pretty good idea in life. But I think creating the conditions, creating a condition that makes you want to use something rather than not use it. Creating the conditions that make you want to do something rather than not do something. Sounds dumb, but like how much stuff is there, listener, how much stuff is there in your life where you're like, you know, oh, I mean, I just hate doing this one kind of thing or I'm really reluctant to do this one kind of thing. It's like, well, if, if that's something you have to do or really, really want to do, it's valuable to do, then is there anything you could tweak to make the conditions of using that better? Why do I say that here? I just mentioned my back, backpack. I've got a Tom Bin brain bag, which is huge. I like it because it's huge. I bought it because at the time I had a giant computer that needed to fit in there. But like any closet in America, like I will fill that bag. Like right now, because I'm, I'm, you know, a beta cuck, I've got, I've got several devices in my bag, including an old iPhone, including an, um, uh, older iPad, but I've also got all the, all the other stuff I carry around. I can't add, at this point, I could not add a camera to that and feel comfortable even just on my small little quote unquote commute, right? And why does that matter? Because if you got the bag that fit everything you might need, uh, that would be great. You, you could also just buy a pickup truck to put it in. But like what's gonna create the conditions under which you're more likely to want to use that camera? 
And it's part of it's the um, the paradox of choice. You know, if you can only choose between this and that, it might actually be way enjoyment. Whether that's a soda, you know, uh, a pop, as you say, or or whatever it is, like having fewer choices can really make us happier and make us much more confident about our decision making. This is basic, you know, behavioral economics, I think. So yeah, you could get the giantest bag in the world, but there's all kinds of risks to having a giant bag. It's heavy. Like, should it weigh as much as like a a cooler with a 12 pack of Pepsi in it? I hope not. And if you've got all those lenses and you've got all these things and you've got, like you brought everything, you brought the Rain Man suite, like all the stuff you could ever want, I'll bet you Dimes and Donuts, you're going to be less likely to, to take that and bring the camera along and use the camera. It also creates a huge attack vector. Like you don't want that thing sitting in your car, like even for a minute. That just screams. It's like going to the airport with one of those James Bond, like, you know, metal briefcases. It just looks like you're a gun runner or something. It looks like it's probably full of money. You know what I mean? So like, but then the question becomes, well, like, okay, I want to get a bag or an enclosure for this, but like, what's going to be enough? So to answer your question, there was a neat thing they used to put on SLRs back in the day, which was like almost like a, not a holster exactly but almost like a cod piece where like you could get a cannon and there was this dingus, like a, usually like a leather dingus that like covered up the lens and some of the body kind of close in spirit to the super overpriced Apple AirPods, like get a brassiere for your, for your camera. That's cool because that'll protect it from the tiniest bit of shock. Um, okay. So to answer your question, if I'm going to carry around my camera, I generally take, I, I don't carry this black magic around because the conditions needed, based on my skills to make that useful it, it would just i there's uh, no no that that is more like a like on-site shooting kind of thing but if i'm carrying around my canon with a lens on it i just stick it in my bag my my backpack because i want to use it i don't want to i mean like I, i'm not i didn't get this thing it's not a faberge egg you know it's it's not action comics number one the point of having the camera is to use the camera and anything that adds extra layers of resistance to using the camera um, is moving in the wrong direction. But uh, but I, I, in your case, having to take this to a sandy beach, woof, I don't know. Well, what you mentioned, like this was uh, about the about it being sort of an attractive nuisance or, or like a, a theft magnet. A honeypot, that, yeah. <laughs> that factored heavily into my looking at choices, uh, partly because I'm, I don't want to get a big bag that says Sony on it. Right, that is clearly a camera bag, um, but also partly because the, what else you said is like, if I got a bag that could hold all of my stuff, it would be huge and heavy, and if it's going to hold the stuff safely, it would kind of have to be a camera bag. It's not like you could buy a duffel bag and just throw your lenses in there. Well, it's like you could buy one of those cases with foam in it. Yeah, because like you want you, the like stuff a professional to be, photographer. Yeah. You want it to be safe, but I never want, like, part of me having these little APS-C cameras is I never, that's not how I roll. I don't roll out with mm-hmm. a camera bag. Like, when we go to the beach, I go with my, like, my, you know, boring, what is it, like, maybe a, a early 90s kid backpack. Like, it's, you know, like, like a Jansport. It's not actually a Jansport, but picture that in your head. It's mm-hmm. an L.O.B. backpack. But, like, that's, like, just my backpack. It's like, and I bring that to the beach. And that backpack has to hold everything I'm going to need at the beach for me personally. Like, it doesn't hold, like, the, you know, the lunch for everybody because that's in a cooler. And it doesn't hold, like, the towels because those are in a beach bag. It doesn't Mm -hmm. hold the beach umbrella, but my stuff. So it's got glasses, contacts, sunglasses, 
maybe, uh, you know, a water bottle, some sunscreen, um, a spare T-shirt, you know, like whatever. And also all of the camera equipment that I'm going to use at the beach in my stupid backpack because the stupid backpack looks the same stupid backpack everybody brings to the beach. It does not scream, hey, I have expensive camera equipment inside me. Not at all. It's a junkie. It's not even a fancy backpack. It's like those things you can buy where it looks like a, like a like dirty underwear you keep on the floor in your hotel room with your valuables <laughs> in it. Yeah. I mean, it's not even like a peak design backpack. It's like literally an L.L. Bean backpack, but it looks like the Jansport backpack from the 90s. Like, it's just yeah. very boring. Now, the problem is, okay, those backpacks aren't that big. How are you going to fit a camera, even just a camera and one lens, let alone a camera and maybe two, maybe three lenses in there? It's a tall order. If, again, if you had a full-frame camera, that's never going to happen. Like, you can't mm-hmm. fit a full-frame camera, a full-frame 350-millimeter zoom lens, a full-frame prime lens, and a full-frame, you know, 17 to 70, plus a full-frame body. Like, you'd need... First of all, there'd be no room for anything else. And second of all, even that wouldn't fit in there, right? So I'm trying to find... You know, I had, like, this little Sony bag. The Sony camera bag was so small that it fit inside my backpack. Like, a little tiny Sony bag would fit inside my backpack. So it was like, you know, the backpack would have, like t-shirt uh you know sunscreen sony camera bag glasses case like it would all fit in there it was so tiny but now with my new quote-unquote everyday lens that's so much bigger than my old one that's not going to work anymore so i needed i need something else so first of all i had to buy new uh lens like how they call them like sleeves or whatever lens lens cases is that like what the sigma comes with it's like a like a zipped soft side box to put it in it's like a padded it's like ripstop nylon with padding in it it's like a pad it's just a padded tube maybe you didn't get that mine, mine came in these like squarish like round wrecked almost tubes and mine came in a cardboard box oh yeah uh, but anyway like i need i was kind of spoiled by for, for whatever reason when i bought my first round of lenses i happened to get lens lens tubes that perfectly fit the lenses. And I just took that for granted. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got a big lens, lens, a medium lens, and a small lens. And I got a big and a medium and a small case. And those cases are just the right size for the lenses. And they're not too big and they're not too small. And they have just enough padding, maybe like a centimeter of padding around it. And so what I would do is I would take my camera, my little camera bag, and I would put the body and one lens inside the camera bag. Not the biggest lens, but the body and a smallish lens. And also the charger and the SD card and the, you know, whatever. All that stuff would fit in little pockets. That's the camera bag. So now the camera bag has a camera, charger, memory, one lens. And then I would put my big zoom lens in its long tube, and that would also fit in my backpack. And then I'd put my little prime lens in its little tube, and that would fit in my backpack. So I'd have prime and zoom lens plus the camera bag with the everyday lens. And that would all fit inside my backpack with room for other stuff because these are small things. That ship has sailed, and I can't do that anymore because my everyday lens plus the camera won't even fit inside my little camera bag. So that little camera battery is dead to me. It's not dead. I'm going to use it for my old camera, which I still have. So that goes, so I needed a new bag for this. And you mentioned a holster. That's what I ended up going with. Cause eventually I said, I stopped looking for You got for the a, camera cod piece. It's not quite a cod piece, but it is a holster. Hmm. Is it a petard? It is uh think tank is the brand. They call it digital holster and they make a series of them. <laughs> not a that'll, great name. that'll strap right onto your utilicilt. Yeah, but it is like because I called? was think looking. What? What's it called? Digital holster. Think Tank is the brand. Think Tank Digital Holster. Okay. Yeah, you'll find it. Yep. Um, I was looking at bags that could fit all the stuff, and the bags were huge. They were bigger than my backpack. So I said I need to go in the other direction and find the smallest possible thing that will contain my camera and a lens. Oh, this is cute. Oh, look at that! You can strap it around your body. Look at that. 
Yeah, so this thing is just big enough to fit my camera and a series of lenses. And if you look at the one I got, I got the Digital Holster 10 V2.0, okay. which is the uh, sort of in-betweeny size. It has an extendy thing. Like, so if you have a longer lens, you can sort of accordion it out to be to hold the longer lens. Oh, that's cool, but it collapses when it's not yeah, in use. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So this is really like, look, this this thing will wrap around your camera and it all the way around. Like re- it definitely reads as a camera. Or, or or maybe something like a, like a like a German fanny pack, but like this looks great. This is, this should work great. And but you could put this in a big backpack. Exactly, if you this will to. fit in my backpack. I got it. And if you look at the taper, like the you know, because it's kind of tapered on one side because the Sony, the tiny little APS-C Sony doesn't have the lens right in the middle of the body. It's kind of offset a little bit. Hmm. Um, or anyway, the handle is big on one side. Oh, I see. It's slightly more curvy on one side. Yeah. And so yeah. in that little gap there, I could probably fit a prime lens in my bag. And then alongside Ooh. it, because it's so skinny, I can fit a zoom lens, maybe. I haven't done a test fitting, but um, mm. but anyway, this is my new bag setup. And as you noted, this holster thing comes with a strap. You can put it on a belt. You can put it over your shoulder. You can put it inside your backpack. Lots of options. In general, when I'm just walking around, I will just have my camera, my everyday lens, and just have it around my neck. No camera bag whatsoever. Just bare camera. But when I'm traveling somewhere, I want, if I'm going to the beach... I want to bring my camera and three lenses in my backpack, and I'm hoping this will let me pull that off. Even if I take one of the lenses out of my backpack, a lens, if you don't know what a lens case looks like, it just looks like a black tube. And if that's buried in some other bag, it won't be a big deal. So yeah, this, I still don't know how this is going gonna, is gonna to work out, but... You should practice. You should practice, uh, you know, in your oh, yeah, staging I environment. I've t- I took a picture of some rabbits on our lawn with the long lens. I took Aww. some pictures of the many pictures of the dog. Went for some walks. I've got you know I'm getting in practice trying to learn all the new features and stuff. And the, the final hurdle I had to overcome is uh, you know you don't think about this until you're ordering the camera and you realize oh wait a second this camera doesn't come with a charger like an external charger for batteries which is crappy but Sony you know yeah um, you can charge the battery by plugging the camera in but no one wants to do that I want a separate no, battery yeah. charger yeah. So I had to buy a separate battery charger. And then I had to say, oh, I, got, I should get a memory card for this. I'm sure you've experienced this. You mentioned this with your Blackmagic cameras and stuff. It was quite a journey. It's CFast 3.0 or something like that. Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, I knew that the camera I was getting was not actually that fancy. I didn't want to overpay. I didn't want to pay a lot for this SD card, right? Because you can buy a super fancy one for tons of money that is a waste in this camera. So I had to look up what is the fastest, best SD card that this ah, camera can those read. Those tables, those tables are just yeah. your eyes glaze over. But I, I luckily, this is one. This is like the only time this has ever happened. You ever try to Google for something and you're like, like you know, I don't know, what is the best air compressor to buy? So you Google for best air compressor because you're just a you know a doof, right? Mm-hmm. And every hit is SEO, some site that's just waiting for you to Google best air compressor. Yeah, or like a thin affiliate site that's just like, here's the top 10, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, you just scrape right. it from Amazon. And you can't dude. find any content. Literally every uh, you, you know, hit I mean, for this is best. when you need a John Syracuse in your life or similar. You need somebody to just go get this one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And people who don't understand the web don't realize like best in certain name of product. Like there are just bots that go out there that just make hundreds and thousands of web pages that are aggregations of some garbage content from 20 years ago, but that are the number one hit for best air compressor, you know, best hose attachment. John, I think what you're looking for is best air compressor 2021. Yeah, exactly. The the SEO is unbelievable. But for, for whatever reason, I put in the right, you know, normie phrase of best memory cards for Sony a6600, which is so precise because like. You know, like who's going to have a web page just for the camera that you bought? That'll also help you realize when you've landed on garbage, though. You know right. what I mean? 
sometimes it, it'll be easier. Like I was, I was trying to look for something similar with uh, so looking for HomeKit devices. And the the upside of getting specific, the downside is you get fewer returns. The upside is it becomes quicker to just grok whether or not this is going to be a, you know, a shovel blog. Yeah, and the SEO was like I guess this camera is too obscure for anyone to bother SEOing this specific model. And so what I found was a legit page written by a human being. Oh my god! It explains. They still make those. The you can still get yeah. those pages. Yeah, I just put hmm. the link in uh, in uh, messages. Take a look. That has the little table and explains. Here's what your 6600 can do. Don't bother buying the you know UHS two because it's a waste. Your camera can't do it. Like it's not that fancy of a camera. These cards get surprisingly costly really fast. Yeah. So I got the exact. I hope the exact right card, which was not very costly, but very large. And I didn't overspend, which is what I would have, because the other way to go is like, well, why don't I just get the best, fastest card available and I'll know it'll be good enough. That's true, but you're just wasting money. Mm -hmm. so. Well, especially because it's it's one of those things where like, okay, so uh, I'm this is a classic straw man, but like, oh, why get, um, you know, why get a bunch of six terabyte hard drives if you could just get one 80 gajillion terabyte hard drive? Which is like, well, okay, that's the reason why we have an, a NAS and it's it's redundancy. But like it's it's there's all kinds of things that factor into that. And one of those is like how many photos could you afford to lose if that gets corrupted or stolen? Like if you put your giant ass four hundred dollar card into there, this might sound silly, but I think it matters. It's all gonna be for naught if you haven't backed up, you didn't manage to do it last night. If you or, or you know, not back up, but you know what I mean, like pull them onto a device. Or swap it out. But like, I think there is a benefit to bringing three normal sized cards rather than one giant, giant, giant sized card. Yeah. And the other thing, the other thing I look at is the size of the cards is every time I look at an SD card for a camera, I think if you filled this card, that means that it would take up that much room on your hard drive. Right. So if you get oh, like a. Yes. Yes. yes <laughs> and yes. it's like how, because I never want to like, I, I, what did I get? I think I got like uh 256 uh, gig cards. On my previous camera, I had 64 gig cards and I would fill them rarely. But every time I filled them, I'd be like, yeesh, I'm about to put 64 gigs of new pictures onto my computer. Right. And, and granted, I'm not going to keep them all. I'm going to delete the bad ones and everything. But it's like, boy, that's that's a lot to go through. And this is, again, the same sensor size. I'm not shooting in raw like a lot of photos fit. So for the exact same photo size, I now have four times as much room. So I think I'm all set. And these cards were cheap. Right. So I'll, I'll put a link in the, the notes to this. This, the one good page on the internet that comes up when you say best whatever. Best memory cards for Sony A6 is literally the title of the page. And they have the table, the table everyone knows, and they have mm -hmm. text explaining what you shouldn't bother buying because your camera can't handle that. So just buy one of They do say at the end, like, hey, if you're going to also use this card to do like 4K 120 video on some other Sony camera, maybe get the fancy one. But yeah, and that's. Yeah, that's the thing is like, it's also that means you're making more costly mistakes too. Let me turn on some decent light in here because I am a blind-ish man. Um, so one thing that's cool about this Blackmagic though, and, and this, this extends to the video monitor, the video monitor can hold two SD cards um, and it can also do like a USB hard drive. But the Blackmagic camera, the body itself, it's got a USB-C. So I've got that hooked up to a five terabyte um, Samsung, like one classic, you know, black Samsung drive. And then I've got, uh, I do have an SD card in here. I'm trying to look at what my actual card. Oh my God, I have way too many scenes. I, this is an SP Cinema. Oh God, who comes up with this stuff? Cinema Pro CFast 
4K compatible, CFast, and it's 512 gigs. You know what I do, John, also? I do this for lots of things that require an array of not an array, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but like like whether it's my um, my useless Eve hygrometers or whether it's hard drives or whether it's in this case cards, which is um, you know, you can name them after Simpsons characters or whatever. It does really help to label them a little bit though. I got a bunch of these like little tiny, like probably smaller than a quarter, maybe bigger than an eighth of an inch, but these little dots, colored dots that you can just stick on there. So it's a game changer. You put these on everything and you always know, all you need to know is that one's yellow. You don't need to remember that that one's Nostromo and this one's Ripley or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just, it's real handy for being able to know, especially if you're having to take it out of your camera and put it into something else to get it off. You know what I mean? Where are you putting the little dots? On the actual card? I put them on the cards. I put them on the cards, mm. yeah. I worry no, about No, you don't like that? I, I do one on the front, one on the front, one on the back. sliding in and out, sticky, like Oh, and peeling, peeling straight off with these cheap little stickers I got from Amazon. That's a really good point. That's I mean, maybe point. I'd put them on the case. You know those little dinky cases they give you? I like those little plastic cases. Oh, yeah, I like the idea of that. It's just resistance. Uh, John, you know, we're broken inside in different ways. I just, I... uh a part of my new, uh, the, the, the Merlin 2021 version of mindfulness, the rubber band on the wrist for me is just going like, you know, the, the, the Uber pattern of like, what is this in service of? Where like once I, I'm getting, I'm getting slightly better at knowing when I'm sliding down some kind of a rat hole, you know what I mean? Not way better, but slightly better at going, if this turns out great, will this have been a good day? Like, will this have been time well spent? But that also means like, okay, in this case, like these dumb yellow dots or different colored dots that I put on otherwise seemingly identical devices. I don't have to go look up a, which one is this? Like, you know, which card is this? How full is this? All that kind of stuff. Um, I think, I think there, are, there is a point of diminishing returns and stuff like that. But then that also becomes a replicable pattern for other stuff. You know what I mean? Where like once you've got that mojo, you can apply it in lots of places. I don't know where I'm going with this. An hour and 11 minutes. Think about putting the dot on the on the case for the SD card or no? How do you feel about it? But that? you know, I I guess. I mean, I tried to keep my cassette tapes in cases, but mm-hmm. like if that's gonna be in the car, now I've got cassettes and cases, and it's like I don't know. You like you keep them in those little case. Yeah, I guess so. I could do that. Yeah, I mean then you had to need some way to match the card with the case, I suppose. Oh jeez. So you, you could use a little magic marker to m- number them or something. I used to name, I used to do, I've done Simpsons names. There's a really good, um, there's several very good pages about this. Did you see this? I linked this a while back uh, in a long deleted tweet, but there's an RFC from 1990 about how to name devices. That's, did we talk about this? That's still like pretty good. I've seen it. And I think I saw it based on your recommendation. Cause it was like, it's all stuff where like, there's a lot of stuff in there that like is, it's only intuitively obvious once it's been pointed out to you, but like stuff I think a lot of us still do. Which is, and now it's one thing, like if you want to call your hard drive Macintosh hard drive, who cares? Because H- Macintosh HD, because, you know, it's classic. Like for like nostalgic reasons, I understand that. But like if this is a bunch of like blades in a server or if this is, you know, any of that kind of stuff, the, some of the advice includes stuff like, like don't call this blade two or don't call this hard drive seven. And, and also don't do stuff like don't, don't name it for the purpose that you really, it's not, you're not just being cute. If you, if you like the most basic one, the most basic classic one is probably like Greek or Roman gods. 
which again still has some kind of a fraught thing to it but like there are but the, the idea is you're naming the device you're not naming what it does you're not naming where it is don't call your computer office all this stuff that wouldn't matter if you only had one of these it, but each order of magnitude you add to the number of those things, the more likely it is that that's going to eventually get very confusing. So you could go with an Alice and Bob type thing or whatever it is, but give it an actual name like you'd give to a person. I think that's good advice. Uh, that document sits in this uh, cozy place. Like, I think, it, what's what's the date on that? Do you have it up? I want to say 1990. It's an RFC yeah, like, computer. Just look for like RFC computer naming. So the internet is exploding, right? It's getting bigger and bigger. Um, well, not yet, it's not. But we're in the 90s, right? But, but it's RFC still, 1178. Right. But it's still, like the person writing this, the, the underlying assumption is that you will choose names for your computers. Right. And, this, <laughs> right. and, um, and that eventually became not the case it's the i'm sure you haven't heard this phrase but if you were if you were in the techie side of the industry in the past decade or two you would have heard this uh this saying which is uh cattle not pets have you heard that one at all no say it i like it go computers like the the whole idea is that we should treat our servers see pets or meat i get it Mm -hmm. not as pets you don't name all your cattle Right. They just have like a letter and a number and a stamp. Boy, that's good. That's really good. But you name your pets. And the whole idea is all your infrastructure should be interchange. Like it's identifiable. It's like this is this kind of server or this is this size server or whatever. Right. You don't have resistance about get ridding of, getting rid of Maggie Simpson because you've had her for so long. Right. So because first of all, you're going to have so many servers that trying to come up with any kind of naming isn't going to work. And second of all, you want to automate this. So if B57 goes out, you replace it with B66 which is a B-class computer, and but it's not you're not naming them. They're cattle. You don't become attached to them. You don't have one precious computer. It's pretty good. Like, and at any point, if that cat, the, the, you know, cow dies, you can replace it with another one because it's, it's not, that's not, that computer is not the one hand-assembled, bespoke computer that if it ever breaks, no one knows how to make an equivalent again because that one had been built up over years by your experts, by them manually, like, tweaking it, right? And that's a pet. You don't want any pet. You want cattle. Um, but... The naming RFC, which I think everyone should read, which is a delight, harkens back to a time when they were all pets and they were adorable and we loved them and we gave them names. <laughs> and I think I've told this story before on other podcasts that people don't hear all of them, so I will tell it again and probably you've forgotten it anyway. The mm-hmm. favorite computer naming scheme I ever saw was when I was at school at Boston University in the computer graphics lab. Um, the This was the age when uh, there was someone would print out little labels like black text on a white sticker and just put the stickers on all the computers. So you knew what they were all named. I mean, and, you know, so mm-hmm. you, you know, a computer sitting down in front of, especially, I mean, this sounds silly, but that becomes important, especially with like printers. Like you don't know which printer this is going right. to go to, but these all had pet names. Like they were Maggie Simpson and stuff like that. Right. And so here was the naming scheme. The person who had come up with for the, these computers in the computer graphic labs. I will give you a couple of the names. Pendant, visible, stinked, Scrutable, structable. These were the names of the computers, and and uh, yeah. So if you sat, it only makes sense that if you're sitting in front of the computer, indisputable is it Inda? Yeah, sputable is one of them too. So uh, it makes sense if you're sitting in the in this lab because this is the computer graphics lab, and these computers. If you can do a Google for search for this now, were silicon graphics indie computers oh that's good that's so fine. every name of a computer was indie something independent indivisible indistinct indescribable indestructible <laughs> that's cute i like it's that it's a naming scheme that makes it's you feel clever for figuring it out yeah yep, yep. and you have a lot of choices because a lot of words begin with that 
and also very unlikely to uh, to uh, conflict with other names in the, you know in the university because like stinked and scrutable like are not really particularly words and you can play with the spelling because you're really just taking the sound of the second half of the word after indie right right whoever came up with that uh, the bu computer graphics lab i salute you my favorite naming scheme i've ever seen Beautiful.